The Guardian. The joy of ebooks is that great stories are just a click away. For our podcast listeners, we have a great offer on Luke Harding's book Mafia State, a menacing tale of life as a journalist in present-day Russia. I'll tell you more at the end of the show. Hello, my name is Jane Martinson, women's editor here at The Guardian. Coming up in today's media talk, as a new report revealing a shocking, but not surprising, lack of women in prominent positions in newspapers is launched by women in journalism, we take a gender test on the whole media industry. What needs to change? Who's doing it right? Are there any champions of equality in the press? And new Director General George Entwistle wants more women fronting BBC programmes, but says he personally doesn't have the power to change it. Is nudging programme makers the only way to equality? Plus, as is the tradition, we'll have Vicky Frost reviewing the best TV of the week. That's all to come. Stay with us. So, as revealed in the research published on Monday, the amount of women appearing on the front pages of national titles is woeful. 22% of bylines across all papers are for women, and that figure drops to just 9% at The Independent. The same figures apply also for the way women are quoted, with many more of them than men being seen as victims or celebrities. Indeed, talking about this research to Rosie Boycott, who founded Spare Rib, in order to appear on a front page, women have to be wrong, sexy or a celebrity. So with me here in the studio to discuss these numbers and their impact on the wider industry are... Kate Kininmont, CEO of Women in Film and TV, a group that represents women in those industries. She's also an award-winning TV producer and director. Chris Burns, Chair of Sound Women, a network of over 700 women working in UK audio and radio. She's also Group Manager for BBC Audio Music, having held a variety of senior editorial roles at the BBC and in commercial radio. And joining us from New York is Emily Bell, former editor-in-chief of Guardian Online and now director of the Tau Centre for Digital Journalism at Columbia's Graduate School of Journalism. And, of course, a media talk regular. Hello to you all. Hello. <laughs> Emily, Hi. let's start with you. I know you haven't had long to, uh, to look at this report, but what, what do you take from it? What do you think is the most interesting thing? Well, I guess that, you know, the depressing thing is sort of nothing changes. Uh, you know, for, for years, we've been looking at and talking about and thinking, you know, how can we change the ratio of women and their representation in the media? It's very depressing to see that that visibility issue. And I think this is interesting because it's about front pages. Now, you know, one could argue that front pages are something which are less important now because people tend to get their news from online. Uh, you tend to see individual articles. But it does give you some sense of the hierarchy of news journalists and who is likely to be writing the big stories and who is likely to be featured on the front pages. And it's just depressing to see the ratios being so low after so long, particularly given the number of women who go into the profession. Uh, you know, which is actually sort of almost inversely proportionate to the figures that we're looking at here. Yeah, I mean, that one of the reasons which decided to do it on front pages was that idea that in terms of public visibility, you know, the whole community, whether or not they read those papers, see them on the newsstands. So not just the number of women that are writing those stories, but also the pictures and obviously those quoted. Chris, in your experience, 
Do you think radio is any better? Well, it depends which bit really you're talking about. If you're talking about news programmes, news programmes reflect the news. And so the, the gender of some of those contributors will change depending on what the news agenda is. If it's politics, if you look at politics at the moment, it's fairly male-dominated. If it's finance, it's very male-dominated. I think there are areas where we've actually made quite a lot of strides over the last few years. If you take music radio, Radio 2 in particular, you recently had Zoe Ball depping on The Breakfast Show for Chris Evans. Interesting, if you go back a few years, of course, Zoe Ball used to present The Breakfast Show on, on Radio 1. Also on Radio 2, you've now got people like Lisa Tarbuck, who are regulars, Joe Wiley, who's there every night. So I think we are doing better. I still think there's more we can do. And I think one of the the, the critical roles groups like Sound Women can play, and indeed all of us, if you like, as leaders within the BBC, is to keep pushing, and as much as anything else, to be the critical friend. Mm. And I think part of the issue around presentation on air is you have to think about the succession plan. You don't go from working, say like I did, uh, you know, I used to present in local radio, you don't necessarily go straight from local radio to the Today programme. You need sort of various stages. And I think some of this is about succession planning. It's about finding those people and grooming those Mm. people so they've got the right skills for the job. You mentioned the Today programme though, um, Chris, and I just want to pick you up on that thing you said about news. I thought you might. (laughs) (laughs) Kira Cochran did some great research for The Guardian a year ago on sort of papers, the, the whole of papers, but also the Today programme particularly, which found that actually they do worse. In terms of the number of female voices on that flagship morning show, there are fewer women than there are the percentage of women in Parliament. I mean, I know there are a few women at the heads of business and certainly a few senior politicians, but there are more of them than are on today. We then had another look at Today in the same period this year, And it hasn't really got much better, despite all the public protestations. Why is that? Well, I think you also have to look at what the news agenda is and where people are actually... You know, if you look at the Today programme, you are talking about politics, you are talking about finance. There are going to be a lot of contributors in there who may well be male. There's also another issue here, and I think this is something about women in general. Sometimes we're not always very good at pushing ourselves forward. So I can certainly remember when I was producing programmes, I would phone contributors up. I may have a perfectly good conversation with someone on the phone, very often female, and I'd say, well, you'd be great. No, the person you want is so-and-so. So there's a little bit of a mixture here, and some of it is about encouraging and coaching and nurturing those people to actually go on air and feel comfortable. Because, you know, let's be honest, 10 past 8 in the morning, not everyone thinks that actually a great start of the day is to go six rounds with John Humphreys. You need to feel quite confident about that. So some of it is about the stories that are covering. Some of it is about, I think, women not always pushing themselves forward. Mm. And some of it, you're right, we've got to think more broadly. And I think one of the good things they've done in news is they have kind of got a database with new contributors on it and they're encouraging people to use that database. They're all small steps but I think what you've got to sort of think about is it takes time but at least we are putting practical measures in place to help people make some of those decisions rather than perhaps leaving it to chance and hoping Mm -hmm. that you'll bump into that particular person. Kate, how does this compare with your experiences in television? Is it similar to the sorts of things Chris has been talking about in radio and Emily in uh, print and online? It's very, very similar. 
When Emily mentioned 22% of women journalists on the front page, that's the very same number as the number of women who are MPs. And there is something about that quarter of the population where there are more women than men, but we seem to have a quarter of the chance of actually being seen. The BBC's diversity department recently did some research amongst the TV viewers and it's very interesting. Viewers wondered why women in TV don't age. You know, you see quite a lot of younger women and then suddenly you don't see anyone. And when the BBC did finally put a grey-haired woman on a factual programme, the fantastic Mary Beard, who you know, is somebody who's happy to have her hair long and grey. She's a very dynamic person. She was the first grey-haired woman seen outside of the soaps, really, on mm. TV. And A.A. Gill absolutely punished her with terrible, devastating remarks about her tombstone teeth and how, you know, if she wanted to be seen in TV, she should do something about herself. The great thing was that Mary Beard just shrugged the whole thing off. She didn't really care mm. what A.A. Gill said. And I think that fantastic attitude from that brilliant woman and terrific presenter can change things because there's always a feeling that if women are going to be in TV, they should look lovely. Mm. Um, Nick Ross, who used to work on Crime Watch, I sat in a panel with him recently and he explained to us all that actually men were attracted to younger women and women were attracted to older men and really, you know, what was there to be done? And you can see how that influences things like Strictly. You know, there we have Bruce Forsyth, great entertainer as he is. And the relationship between himself and the female person is like grandfather granddaughter, not even father and daughter. And yet we accept that. Mm. And how many TV shows do we know where we've got a woman in her 80s and some gorgeous young bloke in his 20s? None. Mm. And it tends to be treated very differently, doesn't it? And I think because there are so few women then prepared to take that sort of treatment by the critics, it means that, as Chris was just saying, women feel, oh no, do I want to put myself through that kind Mm. of thing? But I do see things changing. Years ago, you could get question time with no women on it. And when the awareness was beginning to grow, they would not dare to put out a question time today with no women. Even have I got news for you? Again, a woman would come on, she'd be made to feel a bit unwelcome. Then they'd Mm. say, you know, we tried a woman, they just don't really work. And now you've got all sorts of people from Kirsty Young, Joe Brand, uh, Miranda, who can cope Mm. with that as well as any man. So in a way, having great role models on there that other women can see and seeing that actually if A.A. Gill doesn't like your teeth, it doesn't Mm. matter. Yeah, I was going to say, I think one of the, the wonderful things about the summer and the Olympic coverage in mm. the Paralympics has been the rise and rise of Claire Balding. Well, who, another A.A. Yeah. A. Gill victim. I mean, yes. I thought exactly <laughs> that. So, in fact, what we should have is A.A. A. Gill criticise every single woman who wants to go on TV and radio, and we'll all be laughing. <laughs> yes. well, it's an interesting strategy. <laughs> uh, but also, I mean, I think what the, the, the summer just showed was, was the kind of the range and diversity of presenters from all areas they saw. And it was great, really great to see. And, of course, the coverage of, I mean, one of the things this research has tried to do is talk about not just the experts that are quoted, which is this whole thing about the Today programme, why is it that people don't go to women for expert opinion, but also the people who write the news, which is 
in a way that it's odd that 22% seems to be the magic number because it, unlike Parliament, which has these sort of very demanding and different life, you know, journalism can be quite... Uh, news isn't so much, but it can be flexible. You know, the, you can have a wider range of, uh, of writers and, a, and lifestyle. It just seems that there's still this barrier to getting through. Is it the same in New York, Emily? I mean, would, would you expect uh, I, the sort of numbers to be the same uh, in the States? I, I think that the States is better... I think that there is a more aggressive, generally more aggressive diversity policies. You certainly see older women on television and, you know, there are a lot of very powerful female role models, people like Oprah who have, you know, kind of not just uh, appeared on television but actually been very sort of instrumental in shaping and holding economic power. So America does feel much more advanced. There are far more women, if you think about it, in prominent roles in, in public life. You know, Secretary of State Clinton um, is, a, is a great example of that. It does feel differently. You know, the, the New York Times has a female editor, Jill Abramson, mm-hmm. who took the role over this year from Bill Keller. We're talking about the sort of the East Coast media elites, if you like. So I wouldn't say this is a wholly representative but uh, just in general, there has been, I think, more awareness and diversity taken much more seriously. And, you know, th- this is a point which I think the BBC really needs to sort of take on board and absorb, which is one of the things about American media is it is dictated by the market. Now, that's not a wholly good thing. Mm. But when you have an ageing population which is made up of a large number of communities, if you don't reflect them accurately on screen, you're not going to maximise your potential audience. Yeah. That is one of the things that absolutely staggers me and has always staggered me about the national press, which is this is always a very sort of internal political conversation. And it rarely involves thinking about who is the audience for this? How are they engaging with the material? How can you bring new audiences in? You know, how are women supposed to kind of... Is it surprising that we have fewer women in science, technology, business, politics when the public representation and discussion of those uh, subjects is from a very early age completely dominated by men. Exactly, the role of the media. Yeah, and I think that, 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 as I say here, it is clear that, you know, things are not perfect, but I think that that virtuous circle is a a little bit more um, active uh, than it has been in the UK. And to some extent, it's, it's, it's a question of it becoming a hard target in business it's like you know 20 percent just isn't good enough doesn't matter how you do it you have to rate you have to change those numbers uh and just as you would against financial performance i think that you have to put hard targets in against uh, diversity as well well in his first week in charge as director general of the bbc george entwistle has quite a lot to say about women in broadcasting although specifically ruled out the sort of targets and uh, those sorts of quotas, well not quite quotas but any sort of targets or even monitoring at the BBC which perhaps we can come to. Um, Anyway among the things he said the next today presenter should be a woman and Fiona Bruce shouldn't have to dye her hair if she doesn't want to. Of course this is a wish list because he's also stated that it's not his decision to make. This is what he said at his first press conference. The Director General does not select um, presenters for shows. The people who select presenters for shows are the editors of those programmes, the executive producers of programmes, the channel controllers, all the, the, co- the commissioning creators you would expect to be involved in the selection of, uh, of presenters. What I get to do is I, I, I get to set a, a, a framework or a context. I get to say what I think 
matters, the BBC needs to do better over, over women on screen. And I, I don't restrict it to uh, any hair colour. It's, it's, it, I think, you know, we, we need more women on screen generally. That was George Entwistle speaking in September. Chris, he wants to nudge editors into bringing more women in. As we've previously mentioned, he does, he's not going to monitor that. Uh, the Today programme has failed to really take any action for, for, as one example. Is it really going to work? I think the Director-General says that he would like to see more women on screen, him or women on air, and wants to have a range of voices on air that are reflective, you like, of the range of voices within the UK, then as an editor, you would take that seriously. I can't comment on what he's going to do. I, I personally don't think quotas are necessarily the way to go. I think it is much better to actually say to people, look, this is what we plan to do. And it's interesting that uh, Emily was talking about having targets. Actually, if you look at the BBC now, you know, we do have performance measures that you give people. Yes, they are put in a public service framework, but we have those public service measures. And, you know, we are aware that it is important to have women on air. It is important to have female contributors. It's also important to have people from a range of other diverse backgrounds. I think actually, you know, if you look at news, we've mentioned the Today programme. What we haven't mentioned um, is Martha Carney doing World at One. We haven't mentioned Rizal mm. Shah. We haven't, you know, there's a whole range of other voices in there. And also some tremendous correspondents doing very good stuff there. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can get a little bit sometimes completely hung up on who is presenting and that is not the full picture Mm. if you listen to radio four across the day i don't think you leave with the impression that this is a very male sounding station Mm. two of the most significant voices on that station and i know they're about to go and there's an outcry about that harriet cass and charlotte green those are the voices that actually that audience will identify with and what you want is you want programs that are inclusive for everybody that's what that's Mm. why people pay the license fee Kate, we've all heard about the case of Miriam O'Reilly, who won an age discrimination case against the BBC. Recently, she's been back in the news on a separate case. Do you think we'll see more of these sorts of cases? I'm not sure if many people would put themselves through what Miriam O'Reilly has put herself through. Miriam is one of our members of Women in Film and TV, and I know that she had a, a very, very difficult time. She's somebody who loved the BBC and therefore felt that she wanted to change things when she lost her job because of um, looking older, apparently. I think what it's done is the previous Director-General, Mark Thompson, actually gave a superb interview to the Daily Mail of all papers to say that this was a wake-up call for the BBC, that they had started to uh, do staff training, that they needed older women, they wanted older women back. Was at the end of an eight-year period as DG, though? Well, that's right. That's right. And he did bring Miriam back, but actually she had to leave eventually, allegedly, because of um, ill treatment, because of what people felt that she had uh, not done the right thing by going to a tribunal. So she's now left the BBC completely. Now, I think we could probably talk for a lot longer on this case, but uh, my editor is waving frantically. So finally, a question for all of you to answer. If we had to do all this again this time next year, what do you hope will have changed if we do this research again? Emily, can I, can I go to you first? If we do this in a year's time, do you expect anything to have changed? Well, you can't, as I say, I kind of hope that you will see the numbers move in a, a 
the right direction. Because, you know, women are not even a minority uh, in society. It would be good to see the news industry wake up to the fact that they're not necessarily the most popular um, outlets uh, at the moment for, for, for people to absorb uh, information through. And I'd like to see them sort of tackle it, not just as a, as a, as a, a nice to do, but actually as part of what makes news journalism relevant and and desirable to, 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 to a broader audience. So, you know, of course we want to see the numbers move. Chris, what do you think? Of course I'd like to see the numbers move. I think it's not just a case of numbers, and I think it'd be quite interesting, not just about the people writing, but about the number of contributors. And just across the board, I think you would hope they would move up. But even more important, it's not just the people on the front pages. You want to make sure that actually there's a very long tail, so people keep moving in. So, you know, you don't have a situation where somebody leaves and we're kind of thinking, well, who can we put in their place? There'll be a range of people from a range of backgrounds there. Yes, I agree with uh, what Chris and Emily were saying. I think it's fantastic that women in journalism have done this research because it highlights it, it brings it to public awareness. The viewers and the readers and the listeners all want a more diverse set of people speaking to them, writing for them to look at on TV. And that's what they should have. Fantastic way to end, Kate. And we'll have to leave it there, I'm afraid. Uh, Kate, Chris and Emily, thanks very much. Um, Hopefully see you again next year with better news. And now, to tell us what we should be watching this week, here's the TV editor for Guardian.co.uk, Vicky Frost. This week's quite an interesting week for family comedies on the BBC. They have two new things. So Friday night we saw the beginning of Me and Mrs Jones, which is a BBC One family comedy, I think very much trying to fill that sort of gap left by my family and outnumbered. And then we have Heaven, which is uh, a new BBC Two, also family uh, comedy. So I thought it might be interesting to look at those two together. It's just a date. Putting us up together. How do I look? You look... Uh... Like the Fuhrer. No. I should just cancel. Get an early night. Oh, no, you look nice. Oh. Well, kind of Cameron Diaz. Charlie's Angels, not Shrek, obviously. You're just saying that so you can take advantage of my washing machine? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've got a weakness for a AAA-plus graded 1,400-spin washing machine with 12 wash programs and reduced creasing option and a 29-minute quick wash. Wow, you really know your stuff. Me and Mrs Jones, this is Sarah Alexander. She stars as a divorced mum of uh, youngish twins and she has an older son at university. It's quite starry. Neil, so Neil Morrissey is her ex-husband. Misfits Robert Sheehan is her son's sexy friend. There's something for mum, something for dad, something something for teenagers. I'm not a great fan at this stage, if I'm honest, but I, I don't necessarily think I'm the target audience for this. It's got really good pedigree, it's got really good writers behind it, but it just didn't really do it for me. And possibly I could say the same of BBC Two's New Heaven as well. All right, you lot, stop giving her the three degrees and let's get down to it. We asked you up here because we've got some news and we wanted us all here together because it affects all of us. Oh, are we getting a sunbed? Your dad's retiring. Can we still get a sunbed? This is kind of quite a different feel. I suppose me and Mrs Jones is like, a, it's, it's fairly middle class, I suppose, if you kind of want to go that way. Heaven is, a, a, well, it's, it's a bit warmer, actually, as a comedy, I think, and it's a bit more about family. So it stars Jim Moore, 
uh, aka Vic Reeves, of course, and Gina McKee, both of whom it's charming to see on telly. And Vic Reeves is very, very good in this, actually. I think he's he's really good in the role. And it's about Jack, who's a journalist who lives in Manchester, meets a PhD student called Sarah in Vegas. They get married. And so this is him bringing her back to meet his family for the first time to basically, I think, it's like a suburb of Newcastle. It's kind of like a Tyneside town, I think. It's slightly too broad for my liking, I think. Some of the characters kind of border on stereotypes sometimes, and particularly the gran and the mother, perhaps. And there's some sort of comedy panicking about what to feed a Jewish guest and so on. But it's not without warmth, I think. It starts on BBC Two on Thursday. It would be interesting. It's quite, I think, an interesting contrast to say something like Grandma's House or, so, you know, sort of another BBC Two kind of family comedy. It's sort of quite different from that, actually. It has real warmth where that was sort of very knowing. Neither of them grabbing me totally at the moment, I'm afraid. Say the holy words. Remember, guys. Got a call for you from your daughter. You know, I gotta call you back. No, Dad, no. There was this crazy woman at her house. Dad, she said that you're a terrorist. You have to promise me that you're coming home, Dad. Yes, let's talk about Homeland. If you haven't watched Sunday's episode, stop listening at this moment and fast forward a bit because you don't want to hear any of what I'm about to say. So I intimated last week that I thought the first episode I did find slightly slow. There was a lot of setting up to do and a lot of sort of untangling and retangling, basically, to kind of get this story off the ground. And then Sunday's episode... It completely makes all that worthwhile. It was a cracker. I thought it was a real, real corker. You know, we've got Carrie literally dodging bullets in Beirut, going back into the house and then rocking the car and and then Brody in the ops room making the text. God, it was great. It was absolutely great. And in fact, I'm slightly worried about, you know, wondering whether they can possibly keep that level of tension throughout this series. Because if they can we're basically all going to be as wild-eyed as Carrie by the end of it, frankly, because it was really great stuff, I thought, a really great episode. And well done, Channel 4, but I will say uh, not well done to Channel 4 as well, because Jewish Mom of the Year was absolutely my least favourite bit of television of the last week. I just don't understand what it was. It seemed to be a mixture of gypsy weddings with the terrible narration, you know, the plinky-plonk music in the background, all of that, mixed with The Apprentice. I have never met somebody who's so anti-religious. I am the one of the most proudest person to say that I am a Jew. Nobody came out of it looking good. Ridiculous bit of programming. I don't, I don't, I really don't understand quite how we got there. Bring on the challenge, because I'm ready for it. Yeah, she's ready for it. When no, like, how can I get no, 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 it? It's like when my hand. So this is quite a good week for television coming up, I think. But what I'm most looking forward to, of course, is the Great British Bake Off final. Well, I don't know what the hell I can do then, because it's just not working. In which we're going to see James, John and Sinister Brendan. Interesting, it's like an all-male final for a show that is so daubed in chintz at every opportunity. And if you're watching Bake Off on Tuesday night, don't forget to stop by the Guardian TV site, guardian.co.uk slash TV and radio, where we will be live blogging Bake Off. So you'll be able to cheer for your favourite participant or boo if they don't win. And obviously just hiss at everyone of Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood's, particularly Soggy Bottoms. And that's it for this week. My thanks to all of my guests, Emily Bell, Chris Burns, Kate Kinnamont and Vicky Frost, all fabulous women in media. 
My name is Jane Martinson. The producer was Matt Hill. John returns next week. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. For a limited period only, we have an exclusive ebook offer for Guardian podcast listeners. Guardian columnist Luke Harding's Mafia State is a dark and ominous insight into the life of a journalist in present-day Russia. We're offering 30% off the list price of 4.99. All you have to do is go to the ebook store www.kobo.com. That's k o b o.com and at checkout put in the discount code Mafia State for your Guardian podcast offer.